0: Know what is and isn't important. So often we would think every single detail with the event is important. And, you know, it's somewhat is, but some things just don't matter. When you look at what we've all kind of gone through over the past couple of years, if it doesn't matter, don't stress yourself out and lose sleep over it. That's been a learning process for me as well. And it's different for each event, but, you know, what truly does matter for that event. And then, you know, if it happened to, or something just wasn't, didn't come off the way that you would want it to. I'm going to say this. I'm like, I don't know, should touch wood. There are people that are sick in the world, dying in the world. Does, you know, an entertainment act that you had a vision for that didn't maybe, you know, hit their high note, does it really matter in the long run? No, it doesn't. Cut yourself some slack and just know that you're doing the best that you can. And I'm sure that your event is a million times better than you even think it is.
1: Welcome to Events Demystified podcast, where we explore and demystify the world of in-person, virtual, hybrid event AV production and technology by sharing insightful tips, tricks and tactics to make your events a success. This podcast is brought to you by Tree Fan Events, a woman-owned boutique event production agency. And your host is Anka Trifan, a technical event planner and producer with almost two decades of hands-on technical experience in event production.
2: Well, hello there, friends. Welcome to another episode of Events Demystify podcast, your one-stop shop for tangible, technical planning and practical advice for anyone in the events industry. Today's episode is sponsored by treefun fun Events, a woman-owned event production agency, and I am your host, Anka Trifan. As we continue highlighting some really awesome ass-kicking women in events and event productions, behind the scenes, front of scenes, I would love to introduce to you my newest guest, our feature guest, Melissa Park, the founder and CEO of Melissa Park Events, an award-winning event company specializing in creating high-impact live and virtual experiences. She is the creator of The mal Factor Method, a contributing writer to numerous publications, and a sought-after keynote speaker and panelist. Park has been named a 40 Under 40 by Connect Corporate Rising Star in events by Smart Meetings, and one of the special events 25 Young Event Pros to watch for. You can learn more about Melissa by following in the episode links. And in the meantime, let's welcome our guest in. Welcome to the show, Melissa. It's so good to have another kick-ass boss babe join me on the air today. How are you doing?
0: I'm fantastic.
2: How are you? I am probably needing more rest. It would be great to actually get some tips from you how to avoid burnout because at this time, as we're recording this episode, let me tell you, it's been a crazy month of events.
0: this year is crazy I just I can't believe we're already in November it's insane
2: I don't know where the time went and it just feels like 2023 is here and I'm just not ready for it
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) I know I keep looking at the countdown for our events and their registration platforms it's like 86 days to go I'm like oh god
2: (laughs) I know. It's like, where does the time go? Please slow down. Hey, before we dive into some of the amazing topics that I'm so ready to tackle with you, I would love to give our audience some background in your story, especially your professional journey thus far. So would you just take us on a snapshot of how did you get to be the person that you are today, doing the things that you're doing today? And most importantly, what keeps you doing what you're doing after? quite a few years in this particular industry. Yeah, sure. So
0: I started my career um, in Sydney, Australia at Reed Exhibitions. So I was producing their business to business and business to consumer exhibitions. Uh, they were national shows that each attracted um, you know, several thousand people. So I did that for two and a half years. And then I kind of took a I wouldn't say a sidestep, went from a different angle. So I took on a new business development, marketing and events manager position for a team building company. Very different. It was a African drumming company actually Um, but essentially I was kind of it was a a two woman show so it was the owner and myself and I was on the other side so where I'd always organized the exhibitions and been the point of contact for all of the exhibitors and sponsors this time I was the exhibitor and sponsor so I hadn't kind of filled that role before and essentially we were like the two of us were running that company and she went off on maternity leave for a little while (laughs) and then when I, I was essentially left to kind of run the company for her and I decided at that point that that if I was going to run anyone's company and do the crazy hours that was required to do that it was going to be my own so at that point I kind of decided that it was time to go out on my own I'd always been entrepreneurial anyway so I think it was kind of always on the cards but I didn't know when it was going to happen so at that point I reached out to my network of people that I'd worked with and just said hey surprise I'm going out on my own um, if you hear of anyone that needs any event management help you know I would love it if you could recommend me and it kind of just took off from there so you know I'm very thankful I worked very 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 hard you know I've had a great work ethic I think I think my parents instilled that in me from the time I was 14 and nine months and could get a casual job and yeah that work ethic enabled me to build a business in Australia based on you know referrals and recommendations which was awesome and then for the most part we would be booked or have meetings booked people would come and seek us out on site at our events to say this was awesome. We want you to do ours as well. So it just organically grew from there. Say around 15 years in, it became, This sounds silly, but somewhat easy and a little bit boring because it wasn't a challenge anymore. And that's when I decided to relocate over to America and see if I could make it in the American market and kind of push myself and challenge myself a little bit more. So I jumped on a plane, a one way ticket and thought, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Looking back now, probably not the smartest idea with no network whatsoever over there
2: However- which side uh, of the u.s did you end up coming to
0: First off, I went to the Bay Area. So mm. that was where all of the kind of tech startups were. I wanted their event budgets to work with, to really, really kind of push myself and, and you know, push myself creatively as well. So landed in the Bay Area first. It took several months to get a job. At that point, I was like 15, yeah, 15 years experience, eight of which I had my own company and I was producing every type of event possible. So I never, in my wildest dreams, thought that it would take the full amount of, like the full six months that I was able to be over there on my, the visa at the time to get a job, but it did crazily well not crazily obviously everything fell into place the minute I kind of started meeting people you know when you meet people that kind of opens you up to opportunities but yeah. it did take the full six months to kind of get there and then I was working in-house for a tech company first off as their well I started in a more kind of field event role and then very quickly got promoted to their director of global events which I love if I had to describe my ideal role that would be it and yeah it did stayed in that for two and a half years and then got kind of of the entrepreneurial itch again, and then went back out on my own. And I essentially did the exact same formula. So my events were global and very visible to let them know that I was going out on my own. And once again, just like I did in Australia, if you wanted to, you know, if you would recommend me, if your workplaces need anyone, I would greatly appreciate it. And the business took off, like you wouldn't believe, to the point where in 2019, we had 30 events in the year, which was insanely busy, but wonderful. And then COVID, obviously, there was a little bit of a dip, but things are coming back kind of bigger and better than ever. And it's just been, yeah, the craziest most fabulous, you know, 2022 and 2023 looks just as full cool and wonderful. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the the story for how I got to where I am right now.
2: Awesome. Well, in a nutshell, it definitely gives a pretty good idea of the trajectory and some of the things that you have struggled with. And that's something that actually I want to touch on next because call me crazy, but I am someone that constantly takes herself out of the comfort zone as well in order to, you know, increase my capacity, be that physically, through bodybuilding and fitness and professionally through just putting myself in heavy technical lead roles and even like networking with people that I would say are totally outside of my purview so something that honestly I've learned in doing that is that the best way to leave your comfort zone is to just gradually expand it and find your optimal level of good stress because increased performance is just one of the many reasons why you might want to do that and that's why it's important so here's a question for you Melissa because because again, as someone that I feel like you've definitely seem to have taken yourself out of comfort zone quite a few times and just find your true potential and reach your goals and live a more fulfilling life. What has stepping out of the comfort zone look like for you in pursuing this type of professional pursuits just in the years that you mentioned where you would get the each to just do something a little extra, a little different, a little more challenging? I
0: think... What's strange is that I have accomplished a lot and had quite a lot of success but I kind of just take it in my stride and I never quite realize whatever I'm doing is kind of a big deal and I think it might be a coping mechanism maybe whereas I kind of like if I just kind of like have my eye on the prize I'm moving towards it at all times anyway and then it's just like the next obvious step to achieve that goal so a lot of people would never dream of just buying a one-way ticket jumping on a plane and being like we'll see if it works I always think as well like what's the worst that can can happen if I went over there I tried to make it and I didn't I would come home like that's not so bad either and I think if I kind of get got myself maybe swept up in it and thought too much about it I might freak myself out
2: maybe mm-hmm. I'm not you'd be I'm like talking here. yourself out of it wait a second what's the plan here <laughs>
0: So I think for me, even when they are big steps or things that other people would view as crazy, for me, it's a logical next step to achieve that big end goal that I've got. And as I said, that could be my way of coping with things and not becoming overwhelmed. There are a few things that I've done where I'm just like, oh my God, this is huge. But it's typically after the fact when I've achieved it and I've been like, oh my God, like I just did that. That's, you know, that's crazy.
2: Yeah, I feel like I tend to do the same thing because again, I jumped on a plane the same way at 20 right after college with literally a hundred and something dollars in my pocket and came right. to US and I knew no one. Yeah. And that's, that didn't that's that's stop me from like wanting to pursue a dream and a goal that I had since I was like 13 years old, right? In retrospectively, I'd be like, who does that? <laughs> that's, <Yeah. crazy." laughs> that's exactly right. So, and I think, I mean,
0: maybe it is, maybe it is our way of coping with things that, you know, where we do lead kind of extraordinary lives and we do go after things that, you know, A lot of people might not have the courage to, but for us, it's within us and we've got to do it. So it might be a coping mechanism just to be like, no, well, this is what I'm doing. And everyone's just like...
2: And I like that. That's what taking yourself out of a comfort zone to enlarge your capacity looks like. You know, many times if you think it too much and you give it too much thought, you will never get to do it in the first place because it sounds crazy to you and anyone else if you give it too much thought, you know? (laughs) Okay, Okay, so let's get now into our topics of conversation. Now that's all out of the way. And we set a stage for this awesome conversation about, I would say a heavier topic, which is related to event budgeting and how to adapt your budget in a post-COVID world. And I would love to start with taking on a case study with a plausible event planner friend that maybe we can call Annie. She's planning an event to raise money for her charity. What is the most important thing that she can do to make her event a success during our current pre recession landscape?
0: So, I think we need to be mindful of spend more than ever before. So, I have always designed events that way anyway, but it's a whole new level now. So what I would say is don't do anything for the sake of doing it or don't do anything just because that's how it's always been. To me, now is a time, you know, with, you know, coming out of COVID was our chance at first to kind of redesign things that were kind of old or stale or, or Now with the impending recession coming in, I mean, all of my clients for sure. And, you know, anyone I speak to is experiencing the same thing. You know, we're seeing layoffs, we're seeing purse strings tightening like never before. And it's just about, you know, doing things smarter. So we can still do the events, but truly look at, you know, what is the mission and what is the goal? And only design an event around those things. So something might have struggled to think of something right now, but if things were done before, let's just say, okay, we're doing a charity event. Let's say say that any
2: before would have invited like the whole city over. And he would throw this lavish, you know, fundraising gala and be like, whoever comes, comes, but I'm preparing for 800, in person and obviously that takes a specific venue that takes a specific menu that takes all the things production and all the details that go into planning this lavish event now annie is struggling with the fact that she has to lower her numbers while still being able to fundraise at the same level that her organization is needing in order to support the mission so what shall we tell annie that would be the best approach or strategy as she's looking into the 2023 Fundraising event that she would love to have, but she's not sure because, as you just mentioned, everybody's struggling with this, you know, recession that's upon us.
0: Well, what you as well might want to look at is like, okay, who in the past has actually spent money there? So, who in the past has donated properly? If it's all of them, then, okay, you should do another big one. This sounds awful, but if their attendance is worth your while, which means that if they're going to come and donate a decent amount of money that more than covers, you know, the expense of having them there, then, you know, that's great. If it's only a very small portion of people that are actually donating a decent amount of money, then you might want to do something a lot more intimate and just invite them and do kind of more of a VIP, kind of really intimate experience where you're still going to get the money out of people, but it's a lot more special, so to speak, for the attendees, that are there and then look at all of the aspects that are part of it so obviously you know if it's a charity event you should be looking for free or very discounted performances if there are you know performances as part of it you know what other areas did was there a silent auction how did that perform do you bother with that in the you know moving forward or do you move that to kind of more of you know a, a virtual event offering for all of the people that can't that won't be invited this year so it's really kind of looking at the data and letting the data kind of speak for itself to guide you into things. And then sussing out, you know, you can check people's interest and availability before you go and contract this larger than life space that you might not need. So yeah, I'm not sure if, that helps, but that's a few things just off the top of my head that you can think of straight away to save significant money in the budget and then make a lot more out of the people that are coming.
2: So piggybacking on this previous scenario, what would you say is a good example of creating a successful budget for any type of event?
0: So to me, it always comes back to, and I know I kind of sound like I'm repeating myself, but you know, what are the mission and goals? And that should help design your event. You know, for us, I've got my budget template that I use is like 19 tabs, and there's like 500 line items within it. But it's not all relevant for every event, right? So I always start with that, and then sit down with the client. I'm like, "What do we need to achieve out of this? And then what does the what do our attendees or target target market want out of the event? So the cross section of that is kind of where you have your event success. And then from that point, you then take that and be like, okay, well, what do you need to get out of it? What do they want to get out of it? These are all the things that we should be including to kind of tick those boxes and then design from there. So, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but I think gone are the days where you just have something, any element of an event in there just because that's well and that ship has sailed and no one wants to kind of waste money on things that aren't going to achieve, you know, the purpose or the mission of the event.
2: Or have some type of an ROI for sure. Yeah. So let's get ourselves a little familiar with the seven professed best tips that you are mentioning and talking about for going from an event that is struggling to maybe a sold out event with engaged attendees. What are some of the key ingredients for this transition to happen properly and seemingly?
0: Step number one is to clarify your events mission. I know I've said it already. I feel like six, maybe eight times on this call. Because it's that important, right? It is. It's just, it should be the driving factor. And it's like, time and time again, I just still see companies just not doing that. And it's like, what are you doing? They jump straight to step three, which we'll go through in a second and straight into the design. And then we have to like, come back and be like, but none of this is relevant. And you've put it in and you're already advertising it. It's just, it's just such a simple thing that is missed so often. So step one is clarify the mission. Step two is outline your event goals and KPIs, which again, we've also covered, but they go hand in hand and they are your true North Star. Those two things should guide every single decision you make. So step three is to define your event scope. So this is where the design and the fun stuff kind of comes into play. You know your goals and your KPIs. Think about your attendee and what they need to achieve out of the event. And then this is where you kind of design what the event looks like. Is it going to be a conference? Does it have a dinner? Does it have meetups? Is there a party? You know, all the kind of fun things that that go into developing your program. Step four is to source a skilled and experienced support team. So whether, you know, that might just be your in-house team, you might have a large enough group, you might need to lean on an external resource, whether that be, you know, a contractor or an agency, identify the help that you need, and then kind of go out and go after it that way, rather than just engaging somebody who might not specialize in exactly what it is you need just because they're an event management professional. So within, you mentioned the male factor method earlier and kind of, I give like a 20, there's 20 questions that I give as a questionnaire for when you're interviewing agencies or contractors, just to make sure that they are the right fit for your event. Step five is to create and manage your budget, which we touched on earlier as well. And, you know, this is key and more important than ever before with budgets tightening. My gosh, supplies are so much more expensive than they were pre-COVID. So, you know, we're getting all of the challenges Challenges from every angle right now, which is why most event professionals I talk to are like burnt out and exhausted at this point. Step six is to outline your project plan and event timeline. So, this is you've designed your show already, you know what it is you're offering, and it's just like to sit down and work out all of the deadlines, the order in which everything needs to be organized, you know, when you need to pull people in, when you need to contract everything, kind of a step by step, typically hundreds or thousands of kind of itemized uh, task list. And then step seven is to market your event. And with the marketing, it always goes back to the five W's, knowing your audience, knowing where they are, what they consume, and then not wasting time marketing on channels that they're not reading. Just know your audience, get in their head, know what's going to make them tick, and then market what they're looking at and what they're reading and where they're at. It all sounds simple, but So many people just miss it and miss the mark with these foundational, it's really the foundational work that you need to do to be able to then do all the, you know, the pretty kind of wow factor stuff that, you know, that gives it the wow factor.
2: Absolutely. Well, I would say we also need to add an eighth step, which is once you've done all this hard work, just enjoy Yeah. <laughs> you must have some fun too. I mean, that's a lot of work, just going through all of those steps one by one and making sure that you don't miss any of it. But enjoying it once you know you've done all the work you could have done, and just lean into and trust that whoever you have on your team, the agencies, the vendors, the partners, the people that support you, because as much as you know everything is on your shoulders, there's actually a team of people that hopefully assist you in. Executing this wonderful event that you've worked on so hard, and you can just relax and lean into the fact that they can also carry it home. And I've seen this again and again where if you've done the work, where if you know that you've ticked all the boxes, the day of the event, that shouldn't be stressful. It is stressful when you have right. not done all those things.
0: That's <laughs> and that's exactly not a right. good thing. And that is no, I kept watching my clients or, you know, before they were clients and kind of, you know, just the stress that they had on site. And for me I'm always like cool calm and collected on site but it's because I walk into it knowing we're good we're ready like let's do this and you know it's this foundational work that really helps you stress less Um, and then it helps you identify like okay if you're tracking registration tracking drops a little bit here are some strategies or here are some things that you should do x y and z to kind of get some fresh blood in your registration you know and get registrations coming through or you know work out just different creative ways to be able to you know get that target audience to convert so yeah I think if you do the foundational work and you do you know a good job of it then every on-site experience you know should have the energy behind it and the excitement behind it but it shouldn't have the frazzled stress if that makes sense
2: Absolutely. Now, because we touched a little bit on this, you know, pre-recession, post-pandemic world of events, what does that look like to you? And as an event management company owner, do you feel concerned at all? Do you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh my gosh, all this doom and gloom of an impeding recession, what will that do, you know, to our events in 2023 or 2024?
0: So funny you say that I was talking to someone for whatever reason, I am honestly not concerned about it. I think the like you know the COVID period and not having like live events, you know, during that time I sat and kind of reassessed everything in my business, reassessed every expense, kind of I went through with a fine tooth comb and got my business operating, you know, the best way it possibly can. So I know, I know how long I can last with, with what money I've got in the bank. Um, so, you know, that's always good to know, you you know, to, to have that figure in mind and know that you're going to be fine. And then I think coming out of COVID, we should just all be operating so much smarter. I am watching what's happening with my clients and just kind of monitoring it. But for the most part, while budgets are getting tighter, you know, we, it just pushes us to be a little bit more creative for how we can achieve, you know, what we need to out of their events. So I am personally not worried. I know a lot of people are, and you know, I can understand why but I think just I used the COVID kind of closed down period to really work kind of, what is it? Work in your business when you can what's that line? Work on your business, work in your, anyway, whatever I did. Make
2: your business work <laughs> for you or something like that. <laughs> I am I the worst doing. person to ask, Melissa, because I would butcher every saying that there is under the sun, just saying. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I did whatever I had to, to make that business run smarter. So I'm not really concerned. I have had a couple of clients say to me that, you know, company all hands events that we were planning for 2023 are going to be pushed to 2024. And that's, you know, that's fine too. For me, you know, it's always whatever makes most business sense for my clients is what I'll support. But our 2023 is still like, it's already shaping up to be our biggest year yet. And I think that's, that's kind of saying something. So I am not personally concerned, but I do understand the concern.
2: Before we move into tackling a little bit this burnout that we have just slightly mentioned, I will take a brief moment to acknowledge our podcast sponsor and supporter, and we'll be right back with our fascinating guest. Stay tuned for more and don't go anywhere. Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifun Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifun Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. Find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable. Go to TrifunEvents.com. We are back continuing our conversation with our featured guest, Melissa Park of Melissa Park Events. And right now I'm ready to tackle on a topic, which I'm feeling it in my bones, okay? Every time I feel like I'm reaching burnout, that's when I know that I creatively sort of like shut down and I have to do something about it because if I am not able to come up with creative solutions for my clients or just come up with creative solutions in general, or anything that's creative that's out of me and and things that I normally enjoy are just not enjoyable anymore, that's when I know, okay, it's time to stop and reassess and rest. And like you mentioned, everyone I feel like in our industry is kind of feeling a bit of a burnout. After COVID, we've taken the events by storm and we've done them like really hard this year. And at the end of the year, it's a time for all of us to look back and figure out okay how can we make this work better in our favor can you tell us from your experience what are some of the tips you know that you could share with our audience on how to beat and come back from burnout yeah so i would say that
0: if you are not exhausted (laughs) something wrong
2: right you're not doing it right
0: (laughs) you are not alone let me tell you I took the month of August off completely, which I've never done and would never previously have dreamed of doing, but I got to July and had nothing left in the tank and just was like the only way I'm going to be able to bounce back from this is just to give myself the month off. Well, actually it started as a week and then I was just like, I'm not ready. And it grew into a month and kind of like coming back, you know, dive straight back into a couple of events that we've launched for our clients. And I'm feeling it again. It's just, I know you were saying you're going to be on a plane tomorrow morning. For me, I'm back and forth to the US or around the globe, but primarily to the, between the US in Australia constantly. So, you know, that can take its toll as well.
2: I've had this month where I've been out of the month. I've been home for three days and this weekend has been two days out of those three days. So it's been insane. Like you, I'm telling myself, I mean, I am really, really convincing myself that I will be taking December off. And if I don't, someone please keep me accountable.
0: (laughs) No, it's true. So I think for me, my burnout journey all started in 2019. So I was starting to feel, I didn't know what it was at the time, but starting to feel it in 2018. And then it kind of came to a full blow in 2019, which is when I enlisted the help of a burnout coach to kind of help guide me through it because I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I was irritable and angry and, you know, doing things I didn't necessarily want to be doing. And I was in, at that point in time, I was somewhat in a yes-man mentality in business, you know, which we all know, which is saying yes to things that we should say no to. They're no longer online. You know, the types of clients we want to work with. There were all these things where I had said yes instead of no, and it just all piled on. And then I just found myself completely burnt out, a shell of my former self. And I'm not I'm not a kind of angry person. I'm always usually high energy and yeah, I would just did not like the person that I was anymore. So enlisted the help of this burnout coach and with her, I kind of sat and assessed everything and everyone that was in my life and made tough decisions where I ended friendships that weren't working for me anymore. Anyone that was kind of pulling me down um, all the time or you know, ended contracts with clients. I walked away from a lot of money, but the clients, you know, I wasn't excited to work on their events or, you know, they were painful to work with. And it was just every time the phone would ring or, you know, I get an email from them, there would be a reaction like, oh, and it's just like, mm, this is not okay. So I kind of went through what I call my auditing process, where I audited everything and everyone made the decisions to cut anything out that wasn't working for me. And then life got back to, you know, a, a place of being joyful and enjoying things again. And then that was great. Then COVID hit, you know, which we all went through and it was what it was. But I think I was talking to my friend about this the other day, and I'm just like, why am I so tired? <laughs> and, you know, we reminded ourselves and it kind of goes back to what we mentioned earlier, we just kind of as event professionals, or anyone that kind of is very resilient, you take everything in your stride, and you don't kind of realize the impact that that covid might have had. I mean, obviously, we know live events didn't happen and a lot of businesses, you know, didn't survive. But for those that did, I think it's important to kind of look back now that we're somewhat through it, but I, you know, challenge the fact that I think now is more challenging than during covid. Kind mm-hmm. sort of coming out of it and now dealing with the impending recession. It's just like we're being hit time and time and time again yeah. with stuff out of our control. And I think as, you know, event professionals, we're control freaks, right? So I think it's recognising what's actually going on and then, you know, realising what the industry is like. So, you know, so many skilled, wonderful, very experienced event professionals are not interested in coming back to the industry anymore. For the most part, everyone, if I'm just going to kind of generalise, is understaffed. All of our vendors are understaffed. You're dealing with, a lot of the times new vendors because your old vendors no longer exist and you know you're needing to really rely on your vendors like never before to kind of be like we are partners and we're in this together and this is how we're going to make it work so which is you know in one sense it's great because you know the relationship building and all of those things you know are more important vital than ever before and you can really work you know so closely with your vendors to create some epic experience for your clients but it's challenging and then you know who's going to turn up on event day you know we're still dealing with people not being able to come yeah. because they're sick and it's already at you know <laughs> already at staffing yeah. levels lower than what we would have been comfortable with pre-event and there's a
2: level, I feel like, of liability and risk that you're taking, especially yeah. having not worked with specific partners and vendors before. And it has happened to me beginning of the year in the spring. And honestly, I don't wish on anyone the type of anxiety that I was feeling leading to the event because I just felt like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if they're going to show up. I don't even know if I'm going to be the only one on the event side. <laughs> and it's so stressful because it's not about me, it's about my client that that I'm going to be failing and yeah. I don't want to be responsible for that
0: <laughs> so I, I would just say like for everyone listening the struggle is real it's a real thing we're all dealing with and we're all dealing with it the best way we possibly can and you know just going in from the start with all of the vendors no matter who they are and being like this is a partnership we're in this together all ego aside that doesn't even matter at this point just we're in this together how can we produce the best possible show for this client so yeah i i would say um i think i've gone off track slightly here but (laughs) i know we're talking about burnout but you know i think It's a real thing and just being mindful of, you know, you were saying and I'm the same where, you know, I had a bunch of stuff I was meant to get done on the weekend and I kind of got to Friday night and I'm just like, you know what, I need to stop. I need to have the weekend off because I am going to get to next week, which, you know, it's another big week for us. It's kind of all big weeks right through to Christmas and If I didn't stop and have a break and like go out for a walk and enjoy some sunshine and fresh air, I would be irritable this week. And I know that. So it's really identifying what do you need or if you're going to switch off, what do you need out of that time? Don't be taking calls. If, you know, other things give you anxiety, then don't do those either. What's going to bring you some inner peace and just honestly white space. Just you need the white space in there, you know, whether it's an exercise class or whatever's going to give you the mental clarity and white space. So you can have the space to just think, even if it's about nothing. And even if you're not thinking, just
2: have that space to let your mind wander where it needs to. That's something that I've practiced over and over again, especially during like stressful weeks and stressful months where having that workout time where I can just go and dial in a few reps of exercises that I just know by heart, but my mind doesn't have to tap into it or think about it, but just wonder freely. It's been so helpful. And another question that I like to ask myself whenever I feel like the anxiety wanting to settle in is what it is that you need right now to make you feel better or to help you get through this next thing that you're trying to put off. Because you know how when you have to do something and you're trying every trick in the book to procrastinate, but you know it has to be done, right? So I have to talk myself, talk to myself and say, okay, Anka, you're trying to put this off for a reason because you just don't enjoy doing it. I get it. What do you need? What is it that you need in order to get it done take it in strides, one little step at a time so you can get over it, you know, and it's worked. Somehow I can trick myself into doing it.
0: (laughs) So I do a very similar thing. I have my to-do list and then what I do is highlight or put a little star next to the things that I need to get done that day. So then everything, then by the end, I'm just like, oh my God, I achieved a lot. You know, and so we have very similar methods to force ourselves to do the tasks that we don't want to do.
2: But that's the (laughs) secret, especially when you're a sole entrepreneur or you're a business owner and it relies on you to get some things done and i have a team of people that support me finally mm-hmm. this year it has been the year when i said yes i don't have to control every single thing i can let go of that because i need any support i can get right now however on some of the things that you know it's on you you have to get yeah. it done you have to do it even those things like i would have to talk myself and use strategies that i know work for me, but I have to use them on myself in order to get it done because it's still going to be on me regardless if I feel like doing it or not. Exactly. Yeah. No,
0: I I totally understand where you're coming from. And I do the exact same thing. I know after this, I'm like, okay, I've got to write a marketing plan for one of my clients and I've got to create a website plan. And I'm like, I have been somewhat putting those tasks off because they're just big and chunky. So what I've been doing instead is like all the tiny things that I've got to do for another event. Like just cross those 20 things off. But after this, I'm like, okay. And it's on my whiteboard. So I'm like, I can see it there. And I'm like,
2: I've got to do these three things today. (laughs) What did they say? Like, how do you eat an elephant in small bites? or something that's like right. that, right? That's been the one thing that I can do. Like you said, you know, tackling the larger task in smaller increments to get it done. And as I see those check marks, you know, next to that, to do list, and I actually build myself onto wanting to do even more now that I've accomplished something. Because right. if I start with the largest task at first, because people say, hey, in the morning, do your largest task because that's when you have the most energy. That's great. Honestly, that doesn't work for me. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. a different person. I have to create my strategy in a way that works for me. And I love to hear some of your strategies as well that you operate in to make sure that you're at the highest level of performance, because again, it is on you if you are to move this ship forward.
0: Yeah. So I would say, you know, we've got very similar strategies, but the advice I would maybe give to the listeners is do what works for you. It doesn't matter what works for anybody else, or even if they think your strategy is crazy, if it works for you, then keep doing it. So for me, it's all about to-do lists. I love to highlight things off and then I break the to list down as I mentioned before with the little stars so stars is because it's on my whiteboard and I can kind of see everything I'm looking off to the side of it now but I know a star on the whiteboard means I have to accomplish it today and I'm the same as you for me really it's like I have to be in a certain energy to dive into some of the bigger chunkier tasks like you know developing a marketing plan or you know getting a whole registration site set up or or whatever it may be so instead I'll focus if I'm kind of not feeling it yet I'll do a bunch of the little tasks and then be like oh so productive I've got it and then I'll jump into one of the bigger ones for me as well like you know I am global so I am up most of the time, at like 3 a.m. on phone calls with you know, if I'm in Australia, it's you know usually a 3 a.m. start for like my US clients, and then through to the night for my Europe clients. I don't really Who has time for sleep anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what's that anyway? Uh, right. uh, but for me, it's like you know a 5 a.m. club or any of those things just never worked because to me, my schedule is often or my wake up times determined by whatever the first phone call is which is usually, you know, some odd, ungodly hour that I should not be awake for. So, you know, coming out of those, often I'll do like seven hours of back-to-back calls and then at 10 a.m. start my day. But I'm like, I'm already seven hours in. So coming out of that, you know, sometimes I'm just like brain dead and I'm like, I I just don't have it in me to do one of those bigger kind of chunkier tasks. I'll do the smaller stuff first, get myself wound up and give myself energy again and pep myself up with, you know, some song from Spotify. And then then I'll, I'll jump into something later once, you know, the rest of the world's asleep and then I can just dive in and focus. Yeah, I use all all the methods, but, you know, whatever works for you, do it.
2: I love it. Well, this was a fantastic conversation so far, Melissa. Thank you so much for sharing. In closing, what is one piece of advice that you would like to leave our audience with? Maybe some of our event professional friends that would like to pursue a career in events and they're new at this, they're coming from COVID, you know. Many people actually have started planning events during COVID and now they were back in person, it's challenging to go to in person when all you've done was virtual events. Any advice yeah. that you like to give to our audience? Yeah, I would say we've covered this, but no, it is a very challenging time
0: right now. So don't let that scare you off. If you truly love the industry, stick with it. You know, we have gone from live in person to hybrid, to virtual, to hybrid again, back to, you know, the Omicron brought back to virtual, you know, it has been an absolute roller coaster with all the loops so you know that isn't normal but it kind of is normal right now (laughs) we're all kind of just rolling with it you're not alone in it we're all you know I've been doing this for 22 years and I'm you know I'm struggling with it we're all just doing the best that we can so be super kind to everyone in the industry reach out to people if you feel like you're on your own because I guarantee you're not you know there might be another organization or someone else you work with or even one of your vendors where you can just be like how are you dealing with this or how are you struggling or, you know, am I overthinking things or getting overwhelmed unnecessarily? I guarantee you they're struggling as well right now. So main thing is, you know, you're not alone. You know, it is going to be a challenging time, at least for the next 12 months, I would say, but there's no other profession I would want to do challenge or not. I love it. And I don't know, I would just hope at some point it returns to pre-COVID for everyone that's new to the industry. So they can load as much as we do, write it out and do the best that you can. And the other thing is know what is and isn't important. So I feel like, you know, so often we would think every single detail with the event is important and, you know, it's somewhat is, but some things just don't matter when you look at what we've all kind of gone through over the past couple of years. So if it doesn't matter, don't stress yourself out and lose sleep over it. And I think that's been a learning process for me as well, of like, you know, just knowing you know, it's different for each event, but, you know, what truly does matter for that event. And then, you know, if something were to fall, I mean, I'm saying that and I'm like, my stuff doesn't fall through the cracks, but, you know, if it happened to or something just wasn't, didn't come off the way that you would want it to, hopefully, I'm going to say this, I'm like, I don't know if it should touch wood. There are people that are, you know, sick in the world, dying in the world, does, you know, an entertainment act that you had a vision for that didn't maybe you know hit their high note does it really matter in the long run no it doesn't cut yourself some slack and just know that you're doing the best that you can and I'm sure that your event is a million times better than you even think it is I mean I'm not sure if that helped but I think that I think it's important for everyone to know that you know it is a struggle uh, you know it is a challenging time right now and we can only do the best that we can do and we don't want to kill ourselves over it either it's not worth it
2: absolutely well Melissa this was fabulous where can our audience connect with you yeah
0: so my website is melissapark.co you can find me on Instagram Melissa Park events I'm
2: on LinkedIn you can just search my name you'll find me we will have all those links in the episode notes so you can rest assured that you can find those as well all right well this was a great great conversation topics that we touch on many topics amazing topics okay. we touched on and I am super grateful that we Got to do this together, Melissa. Me too. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Friends, this is it for today's episode and stay tuned for what's coming up next. Make sure that you check out all the episode notes. Melissa has a gift for you, it's going to be in the link. So make sure that you follow that and have a wonderful rest of your day. Melissa, I feel like it's the next day. You're living in the future in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) How is it in the future, my friend? It's a lovely sunny day. (laughs) That's fabulous. I wish you all a wonderful rest of whatever it is, day, night, wherever you are in the world. Thank you, Melissa, for this time together.
1: Thank you for listening to the Events Demystified Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to review it, rate it, and share it with other event professionals that could benefit from it. Connect with us on social at Events Demystified Podcast. We would love to hear from you and what you're up to. If you'd like to learn more about TreeFan event services and find out if we're a good fit in supporting your event, can we help your event be successful with a 20-minute free consultation? Link in the episode's notes. Thanks for tuning in.